0: And welcome back to Zombie Squad cast. And today I have Ryan. And Ryan has worked uh, with me on a number of independent projects. And one of them was Incubator. I remember I was the first AD on Incubator. And, yeah. and you were one of, the, one of the actors, one of the cast in the film. Uh, if, I, if, I, if I remember correctly, you were a police officer, you got zapped with an EMP blast and your vehicle went down or something like that. Was-
1: that is correct yeah that yeah. seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it?
0: It seems like a lifetime ago, and uh yeah i mean you can you can testify it like I can that we've stayed active. I don't think I've worked with you since then, unfortunately, no, i think that I think that was it so um, um, but yeah so um is, well, well was, I, 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 <laughs> go ahead go ahead you go ahead, no, you go ahead. I was
1: just gonna say, that is one of the very that might actually be the first thing that I was like cast by somebody that I didn't know ahead of time. Okay, that I, so, I, get, I, a, get,
0: I get what you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a
1: milestone for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, without further ado, Ryan Thomas, uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little about who you are, what you do, and, and how things have been.
1: All right, I am uh, Ryan Scott Thomas. Um, I had to add the middle name when I joined SAG. I'm um, not typically that pretentious, but uh, I am a, an actor, I live in uh, New York City, Um, which I don't know if you're going to be able to hear it through my microphone, but if you can hear all that honking, that's what living in New York City is like.
0: It it adds a great ambiance. It adds a great, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, natural, natural sound. Yeah. When I come
1: home to Baltimore and, and try to sleep in somebody's place, it's just amazing how quiet everything is. And I live in a very quiet neighborhood for New York, so... Um, But yeah, so I'm an actor. I've been living up here about four years. I'm from Baltimore. Uh, Also screenwriter. And uh, this past year, I wrote a stage play for the first stage play I ever wrote that we actually got produced and uh, into a festival. Um, I'm a retired police officer from Baltimore County. Um, So that sort of informs a lot of my writing. And uh, I don't write all police stuff, but just that experience and a lot of the stuff that i saw and and uh dealt with obviously has uh you know some imprint in the uh the psyche there um yeah that's about and i, I bartend to to pay the bills
0: when acting is slow well if you're an actor you're definitely going to be either a bartender or a waiter right
1: yeah the other thing i'm actually uh, working on getting my real estate license now because that's the other thing because you can pretty yep. much set your own schedule so
0: right so um so, as far as having these fallbacks, uh, what is your concern with? Um, and and maybe you can test. Maybe you can give testament of you know your success and 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 how you've grown from you know incubator in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. But but what's your concern with fallbacks? Because I chose, I chose a number of fallbacks that were still within the realm of film, TV, live streaming you know the way the media's kind of moving forward I always jumped on certain tech like live streaming and, and 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 I've been looking into VR for the last year and a half I've been you know trying to like you know do my best to study on VR and that mm-hmm. kind of and that kind of medium but it's always been you know film and TV audio video of some sort and what's so what is you know I mean, and I, what I'm trying to say is you know what are you do you have any fears of like your fallback you falling back permanently? In yeah,
1: that. absolutely. Um, and I kind of did it backwards because literally the only thing I ever wanted to do was uh, be an actor. i mean, from five years old. Like, I, my mom had a, was really into movies and gave me a very healthy understanding of what movies were um, when I was a kid. So by the time I was, you know, get, even getting into elementary school, I know like I'm going to be an actor. That's what I want. Um, So, I didn't know how to get out, how to do that. Um, When I got out of high school, I had been, uh, I had auditioned for, remember when when homicide started Mm -hmm. in Baltimore? And they, you know, it was all over the news, send in your headshots or snapshots and stuff. So, I had never acted in anything. I auditioned for homicide. I actually got uh, three callbacks. It was down to me and one other kid. And um, they were so nice. I was 17. They were so nice. And they were just like, look, we love you for this. But, you're not union and the other kid is union. And I was like, I'll join the union. I don't care. And then it was very quickly explained to me that you can't just join the union. And I basically that just left me very confused and feeling kind of hopeless living in Baltimore before, uh, you know, before the, the internet had every bit yeah. of information on it that you could get.
0: Yeah, you um, can You can study anything. And, 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 and just to interject on SAG, it's like, in order to get SAG, you have to have three speaking roles, but in order to get a speaking role, you have to be SAG.
1: That is almost verbatim almost. what almost. she said to me. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I don't know how to do this. Um, yeah, I got very lucky when I was pretty early. I've been, I was SAG eligible for about seven or eight years before I finally joined. Um, from, so any actors in the, uh, the, the DMV, the Maryland and Virginia and Delaware area, um, look for industrials. I got super lucky. I did a a federal government industrial first one I ever did for them. And I got a letter a couple of weeks later from SAG saying that I was eligible now. So just one job because I was uh, listed as a principal in a SAG production um, and I was eligible. So people trying to get into SAG, don't rush it first of all, but that's one way to to get those vouchers or to get eligible um, Mm -hmm. in that area, which it's tough in that area um how did we get on that oh my gosh i went completely off
0: track because of homicide Uh, audition for homicide
1: oh yeah so i had no idea how to to get into acting back then and i have an uncle that's a cop and he told me uh he's like you know if you start when you're 18 you can retire at 38 and that sounded i was like i'll figure out acting while i'm doing that and maybe be able to quit sooner but uh i did the whole i did actually 22 years started at 18 so by the within, uh, two days of my 42nd or my 40th birthday, I was my final day as a police officer. And then within, uh, two weeks I was up here, um, moving up here and and taking acting classes.
0: So you were, you were still a full-time cop in incubator.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did, I retired in uh, 2016. I started acting in 2007. Okay. Um, So I was very fortunate that I had a, uh, a supervisor and a position that I could take time off when I I got jobs. Um, And it gave me a lot of um, freedom to explore it, but still have the security of the paycheck and the benefits and all that stuff. So back to your question about a fallback. Um, I kind of did my fallback first Yeah, and now I've got my, my pension every month as a, some padding Mm -hmm. um, for up here. But yeah, I'm, (laughs) I'm real sick of bartending on a lot of levels. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not after doing something that I don't truly love and didn't really, like wasn't my dream for two decades. Um, doing something else that I don't, isn't my passion. It's just kind of getting old. Um, yeah. and you know, I mean, the money's, especially right now, the money's non-existent, but, uh, it's, it's okay. And like I said, I've got the, the pension covers my rent and health insurance every month. So that is especially up here. That's the biggest rent is crazy up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's why I'm looking into real estate. So at least if I do have to have a fallback job, it's something that's, you know, not backbreaking and a little more lucrative.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, in, you know, right out of college, you know, I, I got a job at discovery channel and then um on the side, you know, gigs like Incubator, and there were a number. There was a whole slew of music videos, and other. There was another independent TV pilot called C Forty Seven, and a number of a number of other little uh, ind- independent stuff. And Baltimore, around that time of 08, you know, maybe you know, 2000s, especially with The Wire, everybody, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wanted to start making films in Baltimore. Baltimoreans and then and 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 uh, you know, out of towners were coming to Baltimore because of. Yeah. You know, The Wire and maybe The Corner, um, you know, Homicide. But
1: Baltimore Baltimore has such a great art community mm-hmm. um, and they're so supportive. I mean, every almost everything I've ever worked on, for the most part, had a couple of nightmares here and there. But for the most part, the community is so supportive of its other members. Right. Um, and it really, really was- can pull off things. like oh, yeah. Big productions in Baltimore for almost no money.
0: And I think you know, uh, there's a couple of, especially the Creative Alliance, and there's a mm-hmm. there's a couple of other organizations and small little uh, you know artistic out- outfits you know yeah. in, in the area that really push to keep to keep that going. John Waters, his whole career is based out of Baltimore, and, and yeah, all- and there's
1: some some just really great, um, unique and fun filmmakers mm-hmm. in, in Baltimore like I two guys that um, I worked a bunch of with um, and just love them to death uh, Chris Martina and Jimmy George do a lot uh, well they actually have a new one coming up but they haven't uh, had one for a few years but they do a lot of horror comedy micro budget and I mean we worked on things the first thing I worked on with them actually take it back the second thing um, the first thing had even less but it was like a $500 budget um, the second one we did uh $5,000 budget uh, for a slasher movie. And it got international distribution. It's just, they just uh, sent me recently, and this was filmed back in like 2008, I think. Um, it's been released on Blu-ray. A German company did a, uh, a 3D conversion of it. Oh wow. Um, that one's called President's Day, if anybody wants to look into it. Um, really fun, like homage horror comedy to like the 80s uh, slasher. Holiday themed
0: movies. I, I think I know what you're talking about. I think I've seen posters for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll definitely try to find that because I, I I could probably find that on Tubi, right?
1: Um, you know what? I'm not sure.
0: I've been where addi- it- I've been addicted to Tubi and Pluto, so I'll try to find that. Yeah, pres- President's Day, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a fun one.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, like like I was saying, you know, I also joined the National Guard as an MP in 2011. Mm-hmm. And, oh, nice. And that was kind of like. That was a very strategic fallback because the National mm-hmm. Guard, I'm sure you're aware, is one week in a month, two weeks in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the D.C. National Guard, it's more federalized than other state mm-hmm. National Guards. And so there's more opportunities to say, I got five bucks left in the bank. I pull me on orders and they'll probably have something for me for like, you know, three months, up, six months, up to a year.
1: That's really, I didn't know that was a thing they did. That's really cool.
0: And yeah, and so you know you have like AGR positions, active guard reserve positions. You have technician positions. You have you know certain positions that are just going to be like three three months, six months, um, where it's just like, hey, we'll 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 draw up some orders for you for the next three months. And nice. it's like being active. It's like being activated. It's like being active <laughs> duty, but for That's really cool. that point. How in time, do you?
1: How do you think? Um what have you learned in that experience that's helped you with filmmaking?
0: Uh, as far as crew wise, um, well, let me, well, let let me, let me fast forward and say that I deployed in 2014. And if you remember Andre from incubator, he was one of the camera ops decided to move out to Albuquerque, New Mexico and start acting. And I was like, well, shit, I guess I got to start acting too. And (laughs) I, I got the, I got the acting school military, uh, the, you know, you know. Basic, basic training, MP school. Yep. So there's 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 military uh, skills, police skills, and so I basically put that on my resume. When 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 they there say t- training or acting school, I say I just put on put in all my military information and then a bachelor's in film and TV. And yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people saw that like, hey, this guy, you know, might not be uh, Pacino or De Niro worthy or Johnny Depp worthy, but the guy can, but this guy can play the cop. This guy yeah. can, this guy can play the soldier, the grunt. Um, Whether it's a lead, supporting, or or featured, Um, and and so I started pumping out headshots. I started taking a bunch of pictures of me over there in Kuwait, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you know. Long story short, we were deployed for there in Kuwait, running a small jail. I'm a corrections MP. Okay. And 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 so, you know, what what little time we were in the jail, all the other time was spent in the gym. So I was you know taking pics, gym pics, uniform pics. Um, okay. another another buddy of mine in my unit was thinking about doing it so we were taking pictures of each other you know I was photoshopping them and uh, in, in, in payment of him taking some you know dope pictures of me on an iPhone I would Photoshop his headshots as well and uh, I'm not sure what he's doing because I, he's I think he transferred to New York a New York guard unit and mm-hmm. not sure what he was doing but um, the second the second boots hit back into the the States back in Maryland and DC uh, I think it was three months after I got home from Kuwait, I went on Craigslist, uh, applied to an acting gig as a cop, and I was I had a close up for five minutes on basic cable. I mean, it's and it was just kind of like steady like that, and and yeah. and uh, I don't know if it was that. I don't know if there was that much production back then, but if you're aware all those id crime shows are shot were shot around here there was four different production companies
1: there's actually there's a bunch in new york as well i was surprised when i when i moved up here i was like well no more id shows but i've done three of them mm-hmm. <laughs> and like uh just last year i did three of them
0: and look i mean you know the pay scale might be slightly different and yeah. uh you know the amount of work might be slightly different but the thing is Billions of people watch this stuff. Oh sure, you're on you're on TV. I mean, you're on TV. So, and it's great
1: just for your. It's good looking footage. mm -hmm. If you're trying, if you're especially when people that are newer, um, there's this this whole thing with people getting into acting where they and I I did it too. Um, But like you're just, I feel like a lot of people when they get in are just like, I have to get my SAG card. I have to get my SAG card. And I'm always like, do the non-union stuff as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Build up your skills. Get used to being on a set. Um, you know, just get all – and all the networking and stuff. Because I joined the union a uh, little over a year ago because I got cast on Blue Bloods. So I had to. And um, nice, I, could, I was expecting it, but I was very surprised at uh, how quickly – the audition rate dropped off (laughs) once I joined the union and couldn't do all those, Mm -hmm. those non-union and especially all the ID shows that I was doing probably two auditions a week for.
0: Yeah. But
1: you know, like you said, the trade-off is the money.
0: Yeah. I'd say, you know, I'm 50, 50 with these auditions and, and you know, still the end, end all be all goal for me is to write and direct, Mm -hmm. to write and direct. But, yeah. you know, I'd love to get, you know, an acting gig on this, that, and the other thing as Detective What's-His-Face. I mean, take a look at Richard Belsner as Munch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's played the same character. and 40 years at,
1: now? 30-some years?
0: 30-something, and I think Ice-T's yeah. about to catch up with him as uh, – I always forget Ice-T's character on SVU, but – I
1: can't remember it either.
0: But I, I guess but he just – not only like,
1: that, but – Belzer was that character on Homicide and then regular Law and Order and then SVU. Like he's, and I think there's one or two other shows that he has appeared as and X much.
0: Files. And X-Files. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, and The Simpsons.
1: Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. It, funny story. He is actually, the character on Homicide was based on a friend of mine that, uh, if you ever read the book, Homicide, um, like the first... I'm going to say third of it is all about this uh, homicide sergeant named Jay Landsman who then they they use the name in the wire. um, The big guy that, uh, Oh my God, why can't I think anybody's names now? Dominic West is friends with Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not bunk, but yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So Jay was a city homicide sergeant and he retired and right after he retired, he started working for Baltimore County just as I was coming on as a cadet and I wound up working with him and getting to know him real well and uh, went through the academy with his son. And um, when I retired, his son was my captain. So oh, shit. yeah,
0: that's awesome. That's yeah. Full circle. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just, I, I also joined the, I wasn't even thinking of acting when I first enlisted. I was thinking travel, take a lot of notes, Mm-hmm. I was, mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously, you have opsec and confidentialities and, and need to knows, and so you, sure. you you just change names and change places. But it's like, you know, growing up, I had I my dad was a cop, and growing up, it was it was always like he's holding a gun wrong, or they didn't have that kind of slang. Yeah. Then they do now, but they're using today's you know military jargon in a World War One movie when really yeah. that. That, that wasn't hip until World War II or something like that. There's always little things and, you know, stuff like that's kind of important. So I joined the military for a whole slew of reasons, travel, you know, take some videos, you know, throw some stuff on YouTube, uh, you know, all this, all this, that and the other. And, and really, it it really, it really benefited not only an acting career and, and kind of like spawn an acting career, but, um, you know, Dave Reese, the, the writer, director of Incubator, let me crash at his house. So being the first AD, I was always on set. But there was another production. As the first AD, I was late to set a couple of times, and mm-hmm. I was like, you know, you cannot, as the especially as the first AD, you got to yeah. be the first one on set. You got to be the last one off set. Mm-hmm. And so, so joining the military really kicked in discipline, like oh, know, good sleep habits, um, learning learning to adjust to lack of sleep, um, diet diet exercise plays a lot of plays a big part in that, you know, overall, just overall just disciplines and and self-management. And and
1: I think one of the other things um, that I I guess I get from being a cop um, that has been so helpful in both working in film and TV and theater is it really does instill with you that, that whole mentality of, yeah, this might've gone off the rails, but we have to get it back and there's no time to, you know, fuss about it or worry about it or cry about it Mm -hmm. shut up do what you got to do and let's you know let's get it done
0: yeah even you know even before the even before the military as an ad i was able to say to a director okay we're we're running we're running two hours behind we still got to make our day here's a way here's a way to make up for that you know you chop this scene into three you know boom 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 they want to do like this big complicated like you know single take sequence and i say you know that's out the window today dude sorry but if we go boom 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 then you know it seems done you have it in. you have it in the can you got you got your entire story you got the acting you got you got blah 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 it's all in the can you're sacrificing something stylistically but you still but you know it, whether whether it was a SAG production or not. Whether it was you know there was another production I was on where someone casted a SAG actor for a non-speaking role, and I was I was butting heads with him the whole time. Mm-hmm. I was like, th- I'm not doing the SAG paperwork. <laughs> oh, it's, not, it's terrible. And this yeah. and it was and it was like a it was like a super super ultra low budget. I don't even know if there's a category this low on on yeah. in, on SAG's uh, uh, forms. <laughs> of how low budget this was, but they but they got the SAG guy and they were like, okay, fill out the source. Absolutely not. If he yeah. was if he was the lead speaking, sure, I'd do it. Having a SAG actor, and no offense to you, and and, and, and yeah. kind of like and, and kind of agreeing with what you were saying, have earlier is having a SAG actor does not make your film better. It doesn't mean this actor's no. better.
1: There are great non union actors mm-hmm. out there. Really tremendously talented.
0: I'm one and- of them. I'm the greatest TV cop in all of North Potomac, Maryland, and that's just a small little area. But um, I'm yeah. joking. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, but no, it's it's it is not a detriment. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are, I think, when you when you join the union, you are expected to be another level, mm-hmm. um, where you're not expected to be that other level when you're non-union. But there are plenty of people, and sometimes it's just like I said when I was in when I was back home, I wasn't going to join the union. Why would I be SAG if I'm living in Baltimore when there's literally two productions going at any given time as Mm -hmm. opposed to once i moved up here where there's 50 yeah you know at Mm -hmm. at any time um good point but i
0: never i and i i never i never even thought of that because i was always i was always just kind of like how do i get sag how do i get sag but i'm not Mm -hmm. even living i'm not even living in the market for that right now
1: yeah exactly and it's unless you're living very close to or in one of the major markets, the, you know, New York, uh, Los Angeles, and then like down south where they're doing some, a lot of stuff in Georgia and things now. Yeah. Um, and even like the stuff in Georgia and a, one of the issues with um, with Baltimore, that that central uh, eastern area, um, the casting for most of the, the non-extra roles or featured extra roles is still done in New York and LA. Mm -hmm. So unless you're, you're willing to get to those places on a regular basis, it's not worth the money.
0: So the cast, although
1: the the union is great. I've been very happy with um, all the, aside from just like the the huge bump in pay and residuals, uh, they have so many services. They do a, um, a conservatory for $35 a year where you can take, I think two classes a week and you can change your classes. You can do the same ones every week. You can switch them up. Um, just really, really helpful stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and and I get that. And but like you were saying, you know, because I was always kind of concerned. Like, you know, I want to get SAG, I want to get on these bigger, better things. Yeah, I would be willing to drive to New York for this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And but then, you know, me, you know, me, and, me, and the girlfriend, you know, got engaged and then married, and now we got a kid, and it's like, okay, let me try to reassess and see. Is it worth getting SAG here or, you know, some, you know, just one, one or two things just pick up and blow up yeah, and, and, then, and, and then take that commute or whatever. But And
1: what I tell everybody is, sorry, I won't lean on the table. It's bouncing. It's okay. um, what I tell everybody is just wait till you have to, you know, like I did, wait till you get cast in something where you actually have to do it. Don't just get your, your three vouchers and, you know, send them three grand. So you can get a card. Although I will say the uh, the screeners at awards season are nice. It's
0: oh one of yeah. The best terms. <laughs> so <laughs> gotta... so so they send screeners to every single freaking SAG member.
1: Yeah, you don't get all of them necessarily. <laughs> okay. All
0: right.
1: Um, but yeah. I've got a stack this big of oh, mm-hmm. DVDs that were half of them were still in theaters when they were sent to me, mm-hmm. um, and like TV it's weird. Cause like some of them are like, uh, you know, Netflix shows and things like that. I'm like, who, yeah. who needs a screener for this? <laughs> because Literally everyone has Netflix.
0: Right. 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 Um, right.
1: But yeah, no, there's some, I and mean, that's how I saw uh, Jojo rabbit, which I, my favorite movie by far of last year. Okay. Absolutely. And parasite and a lot of those really great ones I got to watch at home, which is yeah. an extra bonus now.
0: Yeah. No shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely. So, you know, that's a good segue. So how would you say right now, how have you been impacted? How have you been impacted, uh, say, professionally?
1: Um, well, acting-wise, it's dead. It is – there. there's no productions really going on right now. Um, so, you know, just trying to stay in touch with um, acting friends, trying to – I've been writing a lot more. I've got um, a screenplay. So I'm, I'm working on a screenplay that I, I came up with sort of like an Elmore Leonard, Quentin Tarantino inspired crime thing. Um, and I wanna do a full length version of the stage play that uh, that I did earlier this year. So those are the things that I can work on. And I mean, you know, there's always stuff like working on monologues and, and things like that. Um, I started um, talking to a couple of people that are looking to get into acting and giving them um, online coaching helping them work through monologues and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, the the bartending job is dead. Fortunately, I kind of, I work for a a company that mostly does catering Mm -hmm. and I sort of saw it uh, coming because I was like looking at our schedule. It's a great, this is a great job for actors because it's not like working in a bar where there's a set schedule or you have to get coverage for your shifts. So like if I get an audition tomorrow and I'm supposed to work, I can call them and be like, hey, I'm not gonna be there tomorrow and they'll get somebody else to fill it. It's not a big deal. But I could see all these events getting canceled weeks ahead of time <laughs> before yeah. everything really broke out.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I was just like, this is gonna get really bad. And then when I looked at the calendar and there was nothing there for like three weeks, I got on unemployment right away so I didn't I know a lot of people are really struggling with the just trying to get the websites to work and stuff like that. So
0: Yeah, that's that's another thing. I can't believe billions of people if not trillions of people are using Netflix and Hulu and that shit might crap out for about 30 seconds. Yeah. I don't Now, I'm I don't know how many people I don't know how many people are in the state of just Maryland, but that website went through six different like revamps fixes oh yeah uh and and that's a government site (laughs) so yeah (laughs) i mean i okay i I, i'll i'll accept new york's uh unemployment website maybe crashing i'll accept maybe california's but maryland i mean come on man it's a government site Yeah, and I actually,
1: I think New York was just, just because of what New York is, I think mm -hmm. they were a little more prepared to roll
0: with the punches. And maybe more prepared, yeah.
1: Yeah, living here does toughen you up, and it does make you ready to just deal with whatever shit comes your way. Listen,
0: Um, listen, the last time I called a business, or uh, last time I called a landline, or last last time I called a number and I heard that busy signal. Remember the business signal from the 80s and 90s? Uh-huh. I I can't remember the last time I heard that. And when I tried yeah, no. and when the when Maryland's unemployment site wasn't working and then and then I would try to call them and it was just busy signal. What yeah. the hell is happening? And of course uh, things are picking up and and they got and they got things fixed and and um you know I'm making you know I'm, and and I'm not really utilizing it as as much as I had anticipated but um mm-hmm. you know things have come together and things are working out great for me and the family but Good. It's just, it's like, <laughs> come on, man. It's a government site, but Netflix and Hulu is running smoothly.
1: Yeah. No pro- I haven't had any problem, not even slowing down with either right. of those. Right. Um, and, and thank God, because, I mean, I don't know. I'd probably be more productive if it wasn't working, but.
0: <laughs> right. uh
1: huh. I, I look at that as research, too. I mean, genuinely, like I, I've told, um, I was talking to an acting friend and somehow it came up that they've never watched Breaking Bad. And I was just like, you need to look at every episode of Breaking Bad as a master class in acting. If yeah. you watch it for no other reason, it, it is some of the most tremendous storytelling and performances you could ever watch. Like it, it's just fantastic. So if, and if people are in this industry, you should be wanting to absorb yeah. as much of it as you can and see what works. And, yeah. and even just if you're, I know with, with, Actors, a lot of times, um, there's the attitude of like, well, I don't have to write it. I just have to show up and say the lines. But there's so much more to that. And when you can watch these truly brilliant actors doing these complex characters and see how they do it, um, it's it's just such a... Like, Walter White is so reserved through mm-hmm. most of it with crazy stuff going on. and And... I think that's the thing that when people first get into acting, they think good acting is being really super emotional and intense. And there's just, there's so much more power in quiet and uh, stillness Mm -hmm. than, you know, flailing your arms around and and screaming about things. And that is one of the things I think you really can pick up in, in watching shows like that.
0: Yeah. Was it Brian Cranston? Yeah. As Walter Wright. Walter 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 White. And so, yeah, you can you can see it there, especially. I always think of that scene where he said, Say my name, and the other guy says Mm -hmm. uh, Heisenberg. And you can you can and you can see, you know, behind Brian Cranston's eyes, behind Walter White's eyes, he wants to scream at that dude, (laughs) Mother Jumper, I am Heisenberg. Yeah. You know, he but he, he was holding it in, he was holding it back, he was reserving it. And he yeah. was just and he was, you know, calmly but intensely saying, Say my name. And, mm-hmm. and and it's 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 moments like that. And you know, you know, Pacino in The First Godfather was very reserved. Yeah. Held back a lot. And even Bruce Willis remarked on his performance in that in regards to Bruce Willis's performance in the sixth sense, is very mm-hmm. reserved, you know. Uh, we all uh i'm assuming we all know the the twist ending to sixth sense and but bruce willis's character as we come to realize may have known it the whole time and was Mm. denying it yeah and he was holding that back and he was reserving it and you could see that in his in his relationship with the kid is that he was he was reserving something he was holding something in until finally when he accepts that and then we realize it and and the whole plot twist, but when he finally accepts it, that's when you kind of feel this whole flood of emotion come out, which made it more powerful. But if he was like, you know, flailing his arms the whole time, then it's like we get exhausted by that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. and um, what did that just remind me of? Oh, you're talking about Pacino. Mm -hmm. Um, I, so lucky, I I got to work on uh, that show, The Hunters, on amazon oh, shit.
0: no shit yeah okay
1: i got to work a whole day standing next to al pacino and just the most amazing thing to me was uh, for super he was very nice um very self-deprecating and really funny like even like um caricaturizing himself a few times yep. and very funny um but he had a, a bit of a monologue in the scene that like when you actually see that the episode they they trimmed feels like more than half of the scene. Um, it took us all day to film. But um, every time he did it, and we did it a lot, because it's a lot of people in the scene, there's a lot going on. There were so many camera angles and so many different shots that they were going for and a lot, um, a lot of different um, activity. Um, every single time he did it, it sounded like the first time those words came out of his mouth. Like it just it never felt rehearsed. It never, and it, he did it different practically every single time, and just so real. I, I was just standing there like, how, how are you this good? <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's Pacino. But yeah, it was, it was a really tremendous experience just being able to, to stand there
0: with him. Amazing show. I, I watched the whole thing, and I, because, th- okay, so do you, I don't know if you remember from Incubator, uh, there were two guys, there were two guys that were the aliens? Yes. And so the young, the younger guy I just saw in a commercial. So I might have seen you in Hunters, or I might have seen you in something else recently. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. And that's why, I re- and that's why I was reaching out to you. And I was like, I was all, I'm, mean, I was pretty much also spamming out to all my, you know, <laughs> conne- all, all my social network con- uh, connections, you know, to like, you know, that's what like, it's for. But that's what it's for. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. I know I saw you and him in something. It might have been Hunters, but yeah. I, 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 I can't be sure because I've been binge-watching so much stuff. Me and the wife are just about to finish Dead to Me Season 2, but I watched Hunters, and Hunters blew me the freak away. I mean, Yeah, what, Hunters was
1: great. What, yeah. and what, I, I will what say also, um, Logan Lerman, who is the lead on Hunters, uh-huh. one of the most just engaging and nice people I've ever met in my life talk to him most of the day and just so friendly. And so it just like looks you right in the eyes the whole time you're talking to him, Mm -hmm. listens to you, has follow up questions, just really such a pleasant person to work with.
0: Yeah. Personable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I I was going to say, um, a few minutes ago and you reminded me, um, so I was also on uh, new Amsterdam, um, back in November. Um, but I was playing a police officer and I had to, uh, if you ever watched Dr. Who, um, Freema, Ag- I'm gonna say her name wrong, but uh, Freema Agüman, who was one of the, um, again, I don't know, uh, one of the companions on Doctor Who, she's on New Amsterdam and I had to arrest her in this scene. And uh, I was talking to my, my uh, co-police officer and, and something came up about me being a cop, a retired cop, and uh, the director heard me and he's like, oh, so you're you're good with the um, reading, the because they had us reading the rights. And I was like, is this how you guys would normally do it? And I was like, well, no, we never read rights when you're arresting somebody. It's just, it's unnecessary. And it's, it's a very specific time. And they were like, really? And they're like, "Uh, should we not read the rights? I'm like, you do whatever you want to do, but these are also wrong. And they let me rewrite the the lines on the, they're like, you just do whatever you're going to do and just go with it. And so that experience, like you are talking about, like with military experience and all that other stuff, and, and just the fact that I had 20 years of being a cop, I mean, this is a major. It's an NBC major network show with, you know, hour-long primetime drama, and the director is sitting there telling me, "Yeah, no, no, go, do what you're, whatever you got to do."
0: And, and and so I've dealt with directors that are open like that, and yeah. and 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 willing to you know. A director is like you know a leader, like a creative leader with you know uh, a crew to help him put together this thing and, I'll, and I've dealt with directors that are just running the whole thing micromanaging and yeah. and, and, and it, it negatively affected and negatively affected the uh, the whole person
1: absolutely and the outcome. yeah uh, filmmaking and, and TV and all the and theater are so collaborative and if you take out the collaboration from it. I think you really do hurt the project. Yeah. In a lot of ways.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And ego. And of course, and you know, I think a lot of that has to do with ego and, and yeah. oversensitivity and, you know, mm-hmm. micromanaging and, and control issues and what, ha- and what have you. And, and, you know, I was, I, w- I wrote and directed something and someone, you know, at the last minute decided to do a, a, a totally different accent and come up with an accent and change the character. And I said, well, uh, that's fine if you want to do that be creative yeah. because that that adds value it yeah. would it'll it'll add value it's like this bizarre character that uh, I'm not gonna go down south and hire a southern actor with with the natural uh-huh. and fly him up here you know we don't have we, we barely have money for food and so yeah. you know this is like this is a ultra low thing that you know I, sh- I shot you know a couple months ago and was able to edit during the quarantine you know this yeah you nice. know, this whole quarantine has had its ups and downs. And and that that's one of, of them. I was able to just obliterate a whole bunch of passion projects. But nice. but yeah, but, but yeah, they, like.
1: Have you ever seen, uh, have you seen Snatch, Guy Ritchie movie? Yep. Um, did you hear the story about Brad Pitt was the, the original script. He was not supposed to talk like that. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to understand all of every word he said. And uh, they said like, I guess the first day of filming or maybe their table read or something he was just screwing around doing that crazy Irish accent uh-huh. and guy, everybody he was cracking everybody up and Guy Ritchie heard him and was like, what are you doing? Or he's like, is that what you're planning on doing in this? And he's like, Oh no, not at all. I was just messing around. And he's like, no, that's hilarious. We're going to rewrite every scene with you so that nobody can understand yeah. you. And yeah. I, that's talk to anybody about that movie. Brad Pitt is the first thing anybody mentions. Mm-hmm. It's by far the most memorable part of that movie is just his character and the way that he talks to people.
0: Yeah, that's when Brad Pitt had that really good run, you know, from 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 Seven to 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 Fight Club to to Snatch to something else, and then he had a bunch and, of great ones. And, in then, there. And, and then he's done a couple of obscure ones too. But yeah, I, I mean, I yeah. like most of his work, but you know, I I he it, he gets a bad rap because it's like he does great work that isn't ever a blockbuster. Yeah, you know, he, but he does great work. Is a
1: great actor, man. He, oh yeah. He's just a, I remember when he first was getting famous and he was just the new pretty boy from, you know, Legends of the Fall and Thelma mm-hmm. and Louise and stuff. Right, and it, it was Legends Seven that when I saw, I'd seen, I think, Interview with the Vampire, mm-hmm. didn't like it, um, but I saw Seven. And I, I remember walking out of that theater and being like, that guy is amazing. Yeah. Like, so blown away.
0: Like, yeah. Legends and of the- he
1: still does interesting things.
0: Oh yeah, he, he does a lot of oh, you know what it was? It was the Oceans movie. It was it, i mean, it's just everything he does with, with Soderbergh is amazing as well. But um yeah. yeah, so he had a really good run and then I guess he just gets a bad rap because if he's in something, it's not gonna be a blockbuster.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: it's but it's gonna be a great it's gonna be a great film, great product, but it's that's but I, I I'm a huge Brad Brad Pitt fan. Yeah, he's, and, he's and oh, he, absolutely. Paul, he huh? I, and and I think I'm the one straight male That I know of that loves Legends of the Fall, awesome frickin' movie, awesome. (laughs) I gotta
1: watch it again. I I think I would like it now. I think I saw it when I was like seventeen or eighteen, and just like whatever. (laughs) I I didn't didn't have the emotional uh, intelligence back then, right?
0: Emotional intelligence, exactly.
1: Um, But yeah, no, that guy's he's great. And Seven is a movie that just completely changed how I looked at movies. And like I remember walking out of Seven. So glad I saw it in theaters and didn't know anything about it. But mm-hmm. um, and we, I think I saw it with my best friend. It was like opening night, so literally nobody knew anything about it. Yeah. And uh, I just remember walking out of that and being like, I didn't know you could do that in movies. I didn't know you could end a movie like that. Yeah, and it just blew me away. And the, the just David Fincher is amazing.
0: The uh, the now see yeah, seven started the the popular unhappy ending. Yeah, bad bad guy wins type thing because it was like, I don't know. I can't. I can't really think of. Oh well. Also, I think it was like the same year. Usual Suspects came out too. Kevin Spacey. That was another. Kevin Spacey was on a stellar role that year.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think the only before Seven, I think the only thing I had seen Kevin Spacey in was uh, the Ref with Dennis Leary.
0: That's right. The Ref.
1: didn't know who he was i didn't remember him so which made him even better in seven because when it's not an an actor that you recognize yeah uh, he's so creepy so creepy in that movie
0: see i knew
1: even creepier now when you think
0: about it no yeah. yeah 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 i can't remember what i first i remember when i saw him in seven and when i saw him in usual suspects i knew him as the guy from and it might have been the ref. It might have been Glenn Garry. See, I was on a. See, back then I was on a huge Pacino kick because, still today, Heat to me is the oh, great, yeah. greatest movie ever made.
1: Heat's amazing. Heat, yeah.
0: Heat is the still today number one. Heat is yeah, the Michael number Mann one.
1: Michael Mann doesn't really. He doesn't get. I mean, I think film people know who he is, but oh, yeah. he's, he doesn't get enough credit for the. I think um, Manhunter. I like better than the other Hannibal Lecter movies for the most part. Yeah, see, Silence of the Lambs aside. Yeah, but I love I love Brian Cox as Hannibal. Maybe not better than Anthony Hopkins, but he he does a great job. And I don't know, just something about the way that, that the the tension and the stuff in Manhunter. I just I love that movie.
0: See, yeah, I I I like Manhunter. I th- but but me personally, I think it's like the lowest. Maybe I think Manhunter is better than maybe. Hannibal Rising, or even Hannibal. Hannibal, I thought was just—they—they—they uh, just <laughs> they,
1: they fell off pretty hard.
0: But you know, Red. I thought the remake Red Dragon with Anthony Hopkins. Mm. I thought that was better than Manhunter. You know, Michael. Michael. You can see a drastic change in Michael Mann's style um, because Michael Mann also created my, the show Miami Vice, yeah. mm-hmm. and so his movies like Thief with James Caan, Manhunter with. Uh,
1: Did he do? Um... To live and die in L.A. Also, wasn't it? Was
0: it him? I don't. Or, think, oh, no, that was. I don't think so.
1: Oh, I think that was William know.
0: Freakin of the Exorcist. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think you're right.
0: Yeah. Um, but you know, I he so Michael Mann, you know, got lucky and he did that huge, huge blockbuster studio film, The Last Mohicans, which mm-hmm. his his Last Mohicans was actually a remake. But with Daniel Day Lewis, he did that. So not yeah. only not only did he stick with the whole this whole. Because with, with Miami Vice and Thief and Manhunter, he was very stylistic when it came to like almost making a whole batch of music montage music videos. Yeah. You know? Um And not to jump on another tangent, but basically Rocky Three is 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 Stallone's Rocky Three is basically the creation of the modern day music video, because Rocky Three, oh, Rocky yeah. Four, are all just basically music videos, if not just yeah. Yeah. a whole bunch four of music or five videos. in there. Yeah, but yep. You know, Michael Mann kind of ran with that style with Miami Vice. He kind of did that style with Thief and Manhunter, Mm -hmm. but I but I think he kept like how music was important. But he found his visual style with The Last Mohicans, and he ran with that. And and the way Heat looks, feels, sounds, is acted, plot twist. You know, a batch of characters that you know. See, Heat's not one of those movies like you know the movie crash where every single character is connected he is not Mm -hmm. like that but you can you can you you can follow every character and every character is important from Pacino and De Niro all the way down to uh Dennis Haysbert as that cook who just happened to be in the pen with De Niro and they grabbed him at the very last end but they followed him in the beginning yeah this this uh, this ex-con who 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 got a cook job and hates his parolee cook job and you know how is Natalie Portman as Pacino's daughter, maybe in a total of fifteen minutes in the whole, in a three-hour movie, super yeah. super important, you know. And all these characters are just so dynamic and so important. And he was able to he was able to pull that off. And the yeah. style, I mean, forget about it. just the style. I mean, you could put that movie on mute and still enjoy it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that it's so tough to write those kind of um, things where every character is important. And I mentioned mm-hmm. it earlier, but it reminds me. A lot. One of my all-time favorite movies is um, Out of Sight with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I just I love Elmore Leonard's characters and writing, and that's another one of those movies where there's probably fifteen memorable characters in that movie, and every single mm-hmm. one of them is important. And yeah. they don't even they don't all know each other. They don't all interact. Every single one of them affects the story in some way. And yeah. he's just, just got such a gift for the. Even like uh, I just watched his um, 310 to Yuma, the one with Christian Bale and not the original, but the Christian Bale and Russell Crowe a few weeks ago. And um, man, he's just got such a great way of making things intense and serious and real, but so entertaining and funny at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, do you ever watch the show Justified?
0: Yeah, see, I don't, I don't know if I ever finished it, but I know, I know... I got up to the point where that MP popped in.
1: Oh yeah, uh, Ron Eldard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's another. Justified and Breaking Bad I, it are my two favorite dramas of all time, and it's just that the the writing of Justified is incredible to me because it was a six season series. Um, Elmore Leonard wasn't technically working on it, but he was still alive when they were doing it. But um, I was reading an article where they said the uh, the showrunner had all of the writers, everyone in the writer's room, read just about every book that Elmore Leonard ever wrote. And they would pick out character ideas and situations and just straight lines of dialogue and weave them into Justified because they wanted every episode to feel like it was written by Elmore Leonard. And he was a huge fan of it and they would even send him scripts and he would send notes back um, just because he loved what they were doing with the characters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. I, I I might have to go back and watch Justified. So, yeah, I just remember when Ron Elder popped in. He was like a former MP. Turned, yeah. Uh, you I know, think that was the. I want to say it was the fifth season. Cartel maybe. henchman or something. And uh, yeah, I might have to go back and maybe just pick up in the middle because I, I know I, I know I know I got up to that guy. So um, yeah. But um yeah you know I got into I got into Elmore Leonard because of Jackie Brown mm-hmm. and, you know, cause, cause you know, Tarantino, you know, when Pulp Fiction came out um, the funniest, the funniest going to the movies story ever is my mom. So I must've been, you know, 13 or 14. And my mom took me to go see Pulp Fiction. <laughs> this was back when trailers gave you just enough.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure she was aware
0: it was R-rated. I'll take you to this one R-rated movie i'm sure she was i'm sure she was aware it was a gangster flick that's okay because john Travolta's in it because she grew up with yeah. saturday night fever she grew up in <laughs> you know she loves john travolta and saturday night fever and then the sequel staying alive and yeah. did that movie uh travolta did that movie with jamie lee curtis about the aerobics and she's my mom was always in the big dance movies and stuff like that, all the all the yeah. dance movies uh dirty dance and flash dance so these were all movies that my mom showed me as a kid you know those, those 80s movies that I've always loved. So she took me to go see Paul Fiction. And I guess maybe in the first couple of minutes she was liking it. That whole dance sequence at uh, Jack Rabbit Slims. Jack
1: Rabbit Slims. Yeah.
0: And then the rape scene comes along. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm laughing, I'm laughing my ass off. Because it's just so out of the blue, like, what in the hell is going on?
1: So bizarre.
0: And she is so upset. And she's looking at me like, "Why are you laughing?" And I'm like, "Because, it's it, it's supposed to be funny because it's so awful and yet mm-hmm. out of the blue and unexpected." There is this, and then um, oh, and then the other the other scene was uh, when Travolta accidentally blew the guy's head.
1: That is one of my favorite <laughs> moments in the history of cinema. His just completely nonplussed reaction to it, just that yeah. oh man, I shot Marvin in the face
0: and my mom was not happy at all and I, and so she was she, we went in she was like John Travolta dancing John and then we go out and she's like I hated it and I'm like this is the, this is like the greatest movie I want to become a filmmaker because of this movie you know and she has never liked him since never and I, oh, tell, wow. I, tell, I tell her this story she goes I don't remember that and I'm like you hate Tarantino's movies oh they're all so violent awful and disgusting and terrible I'm like, it's because of this event is why you hate yeah. his movies, but <laughs> it
1: anyway. reminds me um speaking of seven on the uh audio commentary on seven um it's Brad Pitt and David Fincher, and it's very weird if you never listen to it, it's great because it's hilarious, so it's it's weird to watch seven and laugh while you're watching it, yeah. but um David Fincher <laughs> talks about when they did the test screenings. And uh, he said he's standing out in the lobby. They're doing the test screenings. And these three women walk out. And he's like, they're older. They look like, you know, librarians or whatever. And I hear the one lady say to the other two, the people that made that movie should be killed. And he's like, whoa, what the hell? Like, why are they so angry? Like, and he said he saw them put their um, feedback cards in. So he went to pick them up to see what they wrote. And he's like, then I realized... The front of the um, the feedback card was the invitation to the ticket to get into the, the screening. And um, it said, you're invited to see the new movie starring Morgan Freeman, Driving Miss Daisy, and Brad Pitt, Legends of the Fall. And he's yeah. like, okay, fair enough. Anybody that was coming to see this expecting something like Driving Miss Daisy or Legends of the Fall would probably yeah. want to kill me.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you know, on a, you know. Uh, unintentional, unexpected, false advertising sort of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. That that was like I guess like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, my mom was like Travolta, <laughs> Dan- the dancing guy, the sexy dancing guy from all the movies, and and you know he was a little bit out of shape, and they kind of like yeah. made fun of that uh, in in the movie. He was a little bit out of shape. Terrible haircut. Yeah. You know that was, that, that haircut was <laughs> the dumbest freaking haircut I've ever seen. But um, I don't know that he's had a
1: good haircut in a movie in the last
0: 30 years. Well, God bless him. God bless yeah. him. I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe get, maybe I get shorty, speaking of Elmore Leonard. Might be his best look.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. No, no, no. And, uh, and, uh, Staying Alive, you know, Staying Alive has like the worst rating on IMDb, but it's a good movie. Yeah. It's, well, so you, you, you're, you're, you're you know I'm talking about the sequel to Saturday Night Fever about the Broadway dance Oh
1: yeah, no, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. Saturday Night Fever is a good movie. <laughs> I've yeah, never Saturday Night seen Saturday.
0: You should well, you should check out Staying Alive. It's written and directed by Stallone.
1: Yeah, I knew that.
0: And and it's just, you know, it's a sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Uh Tony Monero's in uh you know Manhattan now. He's a Broadway dancer. He's struggling to be an actor and a and a dancer and really it's basically he Stallone took the Rocky script and yeah and changed it to dancer instead of boxer. Antonio I think Mero- I
1: wanted to see it as a kid because I love, when I was a little kid and I loved the Rocky movies. Yeah. Um, so I knew that like, it, and again, I was somewhat smartened up to the film industry um, through my mom. So I think when ah, Staying Alive, I was probably like six when it came out, maybe five or six. Yeah. Can't remember what year it was, but I remember like my mom telling me, yeah, you don't want to see that. <laughs> I was like, but Rocky made it. And um, yeah. Would oh, I, I don't yeah. think I would have enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I and and that's exactly what my mom and my dad told me when they were showing it to me. They said, uh, "Rocky wrote and directed this," and I was like, "Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh!" there and, we and, go. And I liked it. And you know, you could tell, you know, Rocky, uh, not Rocky, well, sort of Stallone, you know, is just great with these little quips. You know, cause mm-hmm. Stallone is such kind of like a sweet in real life you know i, I watch his twitters and, I, and sometimes i watch his instagrams he's such like a sweetheart kind of comedic personality he does you know yeah. he's he's done a lot of violent stuff and in the movies but in real life you can kind of tell he's just a sweetheart kind of guy and he and yeah. he, you know right he's so much like rock in real life you know corny jokes that make you chuckle but are mm-hmm. light-hearted they're 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 heartwarming light-hearted jokes and it's not like you know hardcore jokes that might you might burst out and laughing but they're not r-rated jokes and like i I remember the one line in staying alive that stands out is uh you know these rich pompous dancers invited him to this party in in times square somewhere so he he gets all dressed up he, he goes to the doorman and he's asking for uh the lady's name and the doorman says are you expected and he goes to do what <laughs> and it, and it's like you you and right there, and That's it's good so, writing, it's kind of funny, right, but it's good writing in such a way that mm-hmm. you, right there, you know where Tony is from, you know mm-hmm. where these people are yeah. he's He's from Brooklyn, he's from like you know Shithole Brooklyn or the Bronx mm. or something, or Queens, and yeah. here he is in Manhattan talking to a doorman who says shit, he's never like who who has who has introductory phrases he's never heard of, expected yeah. to do what? you know and and uh, what was it um, oh she's so classy she's got this accent and, and and his friends like an accent doesn't make you smarter if that was the case you'd be fucking Einstein or something like. because he's got that New York accent but
1: yeah well and the expected line is so great because a different performer you could it could go so many different ways. like it, they, he could have just played it like he's dumb yeah which I think a lot of people w- would do but or you could play it like a veiled threat or a lot of like, and yeah, I, mm-hmm. I love that kind of writing that yeah. it's just not so on the nose with everything.
0: Yeah. But, um, moving on, how would you say you've been impacted by this, uh, personally? This
1: uh, way? you know, I, I gotta be honest, as, like the isolation, it's not that rough on me. I'm relatively naturally introverted. um, And I've got a nice apartment that's pretty in a pretty quiet neighborhood.
0: Yeah,
1: Uh, So it's given me a lot of time to, I like to write. So that is a very isolated activity for the most part. Um, You know, I I do, aside from the the missing out on acting work, um, I do really miss a lot of, um, up here in New York, there's so much stuff you can do acting, like networking, acting Mm -hmm. wise classes and things like this. There's a great, um, thing that happens every Tuesday night at a a theater. It's been going on since the first Gulf War, so since like 1989 or something. Um, On Tuesdays, they have uh, writers bring in their work and they do live um, sort of, not really a table read, but um, you know they just hand the scripts out to the actors that are there. And then writers get to hear the first 10 minutes or 10 pages of the play that they're working on or something else they've got coming up just to hear it and and get feedback. and it's totally free. So like, and I'm telling you, there'll be 150 to 200 people there every week. Yeah. Uh, famous people come in. Um, one of the, the girls I was talking to, uh, one of the times I was there, um, they actually did 10 pages of one of my, my scripts. Um, and I was talking to this girl there, and uh, she was saying, she got called up to do a scene once, and you, everybody, all the actors introduce themselves before they do the scene, and you're just sitting in the chairs. It's not really like fully staged. And um, she was the first one, so she introduces herself. And then a couple more people go, and she hears a voice down towards the end of the stage. And she said, my first thought was, oh, that poor girl, her name sounds just like Uma Thurman. And she's <laughs> like, I look down the, the row, and Uma Thurman is sitting there doing a cold read for this you know, random author's work for an, at a free event that happens
0: every single week. Still trending, still practicing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and still, like, staying connected with that level of, um, the, you know, for lack of a better term, but, like, the real, where people are just in it for the art. They're just doing this stuff because yeah. they love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's really great. Like, there's so many things that I would love to be doing, but I, the more important thing is making sure everybody is safe and healthy for right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, but, yeah, going back to that, it's, like, staying grounded. I mean, some people just forget that and yeah. and to and, and forget where they came from and forget you know what it was like to really struggle mm-hmm. and and so and maybe they didn't struggle so there's no reason for them to be at that level to to stay grounded and to, yeah. and, and to and to refresh and yeah. and to and, and and that and that sort of thing
1: well, and that was one of the things that really, um, when I mentioned uh, Logan Lerman earlier from Hunters, um, he's been a professional actor since he was like six years old or something. Like, he was a child star. He was in the the Percy Jackson movie. He's done a ton of oh, stuff.
0: Oh, that's where I recognized him from. Okay. But yeah, he's the lead yeah. in that.
1: Like, he's been acting big time mm-hmm. for 20-some years, and so not jaded and, you know, does clearly has very little ego about himself and just... Really, really. It's great to see that when, yeah. when people come up in the industry and don't let it affect who they become.
0: Absolutely. So has there been anything you've watched, binge watched, uh, books you've been reading, anything like that to, you know, cope, to get you through it? Something to catch up on, something to learn? Uh,
1: yeah. You know, I just finished uh, yesterday. I just finished uh, Shits Creek. -hmm. Which is one of the sweetest, funniest, and sweetest shows I've ever seen in my life. Yep, I I was not prepared for how much I was going to love that show. Yeah, and just and it's funny. I was saying to my mom the other day, like for years I hated Eugene Levy because Mm -hmm. he was the bad guy in Splash. (laughs) Like that was that's right. My whole childhood, that's all I thought of him. Mm -hmm. Whenever I saw him in things, I was just like, "Oh, you're the guy that kidnapped the mermaid." Mm -hmm. Um. But, God, he's... And obviously, well before this, I've I've grown to really love and and, uh, appreciate his work. But, man, and and he's so kind and sweet on that show. And Mm -hmm. um, his son, uh, Dan Levy, that guy is tremendously talented. Yeah. I'm just blown away by him in every episode.
0: What is he going to wear this episode? Uh, (laughs) You know, what's going to annoy him? But... but, but for me, you know, you, ra- yeah, you raise a good point about Eugene Levy, but also uh, Catherine O'Hara.
1: She's Cath- incredible. Catherine O'Hara incredible. is such
0: an incredible actress because I forgot she was the freaking mother from Home Alone. Yeah. That is how, yeah. that's, that's how, that's how, ca- that's how, Beetlejuice, she's the mother from Beetlejuice. Yeah. But she's so chameleon-like. Mm-hmm. She is, that, that, that's a true actress because Meryl Streep's a great actress, but you always mm-hmm. know Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. is playing this role but kath and o'hara you know my wife was like isn't that the mother isn't that the mother from um home alone and i'm like holy shit it is and then i yeah. started thinking yo that's the mother from beetlejuice mm-hmm. totally different characters complete opposites but those yeah. two characters are nothing absolutely nothing like the mother from schitt's creek yeah absolutely to, absolutely to not, it, oh, no go ahead go ahead
1: but no, I was just going to say to take a character like like Moira on Schitt's Creek mm-hmm. that in the hands of a, a lesser performer, which most performers are because I, I really think she is like upper echelon actor, um, that character would have been so unlikable. Like yeah. so one note and you just you wouldn't have, have cared about her. But and. Her character it takes a little more time to come around than like David you really start to to connect to and the dad and and Johnny, um, but uh, man and then the just the the kindness and the love that she can have in this completely sort of seemingly vapid and um, egotistical character but then you really see who she is underneath it that's that's the kind of stuff that like like I said I I watch that stuff to to get better
0: yeah yeah
1: um but you you mentioned dead to me earlier, I finished uh season two of that right before i started Shits Creek and I, I think I liked the second season better than the first
0: so we're we're getting so many mixed reviews uh i mean well shit's Creek everyone's got it at the top of their list we begin yeah. so many we getting so many mixed reviews about the second season, but I've liked it so far, and i think <laughs> and I think we have one episode left, so don't no spoilers but
1: oh yeah no no, no we
0: have a yeah, Christina
1: Applegate. Oh my gosh, she's amazing on that yeah. show.
0: Yeah, she's, like, she's phenomenal.
1: She just and again, it's another thing where a lot of the things that I laugh at from her, you know, aren't funny on the page. Like if you're just reading the script, that's not a joke. Yeah, and it, it's such a gift to be able to take heavy material mm-hmm. and find where it's
0: funny. Yeah, um, or just it, or just somehow naturally, naturally bring light. Mm-hmm. To it, you know how it how you know in real life, terrible things might have happened to me or you, and then we look back at it and we just chuckle, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, if we only if we only turned left instead of right." Yeah, the, yeah. this is the fourth time I've forgotten something. How mm-hmm. do I keep forgetting? And and it was like you know, it might have turned into a terrible thing, but then later on, it's like, it, you know, just. You, you somehow kind of find the humor in it and, and her as a performer is able to just naturally through the way that she expresses it is able to just, it's kind of funny even though it's, yeah. fu- even though it's fucked up.
1: It's, yeah. It's it's, it's like, um, I don't know, uh, how into to theater you are, how familiar you are with, uh, Chekhov, uh, plays. No, nah. Um, I wasn't before I started theater training, but, um, his plays Russian, uh, late 1800s, I think, was when most of his stuff was written. Um, They are dour. And like, if you just read the script, it is the most depressing, just dry, um, morose kind of writing. And um, he hated the early productions of all of his plays because he said no one understood that they were comedies. They kept trying to produce them as dramas. No,
0: no, shit, no shit. Yeah, yeah. and
1: um, it really is like because I've worked on not a full play, but I've worked on some Chekhov scenes and, and acts in classes and stuff. Um, it takes not just reading it, it; it takes weeks of rehearsal time to find the humor in it, and the stuff is actually funny. And if you do it, if it's um, performed by people that get it and are willing to put in that much work and it takes a lot of work because you just have to break it down until you almost, until you sort of like go through all the depression or depressive stuff and you you break through to that um, uh, point where it's just absurd. Like it's so depressing, it's absurd.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you just sort of like, it's like pulling taffy, I guess. You start, start sort of working the lines and working the, the relationships and finding the humor in that stuff—it's tough to do. It's a lot of work, and they do a really great job on that show with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the um, other,
1: um, the other two things I've been watching for the lighter stuff—what um, we do in the shadows. Have you seen yep. that?
0: Yep, I've, saw, I've, that I've saw. I saw the movie. I've seen a little bit of the show. Yes.
1: That's all of it. I mean, Taika Waititi's just a genius on every yeah, level. Yeah, thank
0: God he's. Thank God he's taken over a lot of uh, properties in the MCU. Yeah. Because and Star, you
1: hear he's doing a Star Wars movie now, too.
0: I did not, but yep. I'm I'm glad to hear it.
1: Writing and directing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other one on the other end of the spectrum, have you ever seen Banshee? It was on, a, I think it was on Cinemax. It was a series.
0: I'm familiar with it. It's about a crime family or something.
1: It's a, um, a criminal gets out of prison. He does 15 years in prison. He comes to this little town looking for um, this girl that uh, he was involved with. And the first day is there, the new sheriff that's coming from cross country to be the new sheriff is murdered by these guys and he happens to be there. So he takes his wallet and assumes his identity and this criminal becomes the new sheriff of this small town in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, it is the most, uh, like have you ever watched uh, the Spartacus series that mm-hmm. was on before? Mm-hmm. It's a lot like Spartacus in that it is the most gratuitous, over the top, Yeah ridiculously violent and hypersexual thing you'd possibly yeah. watch. But it's a really good story. See, and it, it's so funny because I, I described it to somebody as like, it's dark and complex, but at the same time, it feels like it's written by a 13-year-old that has no idea how violence and sexuality really work in the real world.
0: Right, right. Um, so it's,
1: it's just fun, crazy show.
0: You know, and... I don't I don't know how I felt about Spartacus because of that you know yeah. it was great storytelling but fuck man I mean watching someone on camera be castrated I'm just I'm I'm taken out of it you know you You can't play around yeah. with angles and yeah. it was it, it was like so Sam Raimi and Robert Taffy were involved or were producers executive producers of that and they're no oh, yeah i
1: forgot about that
0: of the, of the spartacus of yeah. Spartacus is anyway so they got
1: lucy lawless i think
0: right because they also uh they also did i think hercules uh, xena and hercules Zena and yeah, hercules. yeah. And, and obviously the evil deads and the spider-man so evil dead you know yeah. that, that 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 should tell you enough yeah <laughs> but i'm watching you know i'm watching spartacus like bro i can't and and even it even takes away from some of those actors are on the the arrowverse shows on cw arrow flash Mm -hmm. even seeing them kind of takes me out of the arrowverse shows because having (laughs) seen them in the spartacus shows and just seeing like the sex and violence is just
1: yeah and 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 honestly like the whole reason i started i I don't know what maybe put spartacus on the first time yeah and uh I, you know, I watched an episode or so, and then I, I told my wife at the time, I was like, you've got to see this show. I can't believe they're even making it yeah. with all of this stuff they put in here. And then we started watching it sort of as a goof. And then, like, halfway through the first season, I'm like, this is really good, right? Like, this is
0: actually a good show. It was good, yeah. Yeah,
1: and Banshee doesn't have the uh, the castration or just, like, the full-on male nudity uh-huh. like Spartacus did. <laughs> But, man, I'm telling you, every single episode, there are at least two, sometimes three or four, elaborate, crazy violent fight scenes. Like, this had to be a stuntman and stunt coordinator's dream job. Because it really just seems like every week they went, okay, yeah, they're going to fight around a pool. You guys do whatever you want. And they just go nuts. So if you if you're into that kind of stuff, I highly recommend it.
0: I am into that. I am into big. I am yeah, big it into, is a fun show. I'm I'm big into like you know Jackie Chan, like Jackie Chan's work back in you know when when we started when we started releasing his stuff in the mid '90s here in the yeah. states. I was I was seeing every single one or renting every single one.
1: You'll enjoy the fights in Spartacus then, because it is very much that kind of like, you know, somebody getting beat up by somebody bigger. How can they use their environment? How can they be more clever? Uh, mm-hmm. It's a lot of that kind of, and at the same time, it's so everybody in the show is a ninja. Like everybody yeah. is indestructible. Practically all the, all the good guys are indestructible, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's just, it's fun.
0: And another one, if you like Banshee and, and, and Spartacus, there's a show called Strike Back, which is about a CIA tasks. I think it's about a CIA task force. Well, yeah. the first season is a six episode British it Somebody out, he was
1: just telling me about this show cuz I just looked it up and and saw that it was a British show.
0: Well the first season was a British production and I think okay. Cinemax bought it and um, added and added I don't want to give too much away but added characters. Rick Rimes from Walking Dead got uh, is in it. I don't know if he got to start from it but he's in the fr- yeah. he's in the first couple of seasons. And I'm not I don't want to give too much away but then Cinemax added some American characters and made it kind of like a, a CIA joint Task Force, uh, whatever Ni Six is, or yeah, yeah. Um, it's,
1: it's, it's do you know if it's streaming or where, where it's streaming?
0: Well, I think it, Probably I think Cinemax. it was a Cinemax, yeah, or a Showtime show. So wherever you might find that, wherever you might find, Sp- yeah, I, I've um, got this
1: great app um, called Just Watch. Just Watch, and anything you're looking to to watch, you just search in there, and it'll give you every place it's streaming and it'll even tell you how much it costs if you have to rent or buy it.
0: Okay. just also, watch.
1: Like, saves a lot of time.
0: Uh, I bet. I bet. All right. That's a good, that's a good find. Um, so what would you say is your next agenda or set of plans for say the next month or two?
1: Uh, two big things. Get my real estate uh, class done, um, which I'm doing the online class and it is just mind numbing after a while. So I'm, Struggling with that, um, just to get it finished. But uh, get that done and um, finish the first draft of the screenplay that I'm working on. Okay. Um, And then I'll put that aside. Actually, I'd like to do like a table read or something of it, um, or a Zoom read, um, just so I can hear it. But then I'll put that aside and work on the stage play the full length, because I like to take some time before I go back to do rewrites and, and sort of forget as much as I can of it. Um, So that I can read it with sort of fresh eyes and um, You know find out what doesn't work It's it's so um, you said you write also Mm mm-hmm or yeah. Oh, yeah, you did say um Yeah, you know how it is like just cuz it's in your head and you you write down what's in your head to somebody else reading it It doesn't have you know the insight into your brain Sometimes things just don't translate. Well, so doing the table reads and stuff is really helpful
0: Yeah, yeah, so I hate dialogue and I try to like minimalize dialogue as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, if it were to be produced, I try to get into this whole, you know, you can take the dialogue and run with it and, and that sort of thing. But writing, I, I write very, very minimal dialogue and then, Mm -hmm. then that's, and then the table read is where for the most part is the dialogue yeah part it's a huge help dialogue building in the dialogue you know that whole interaction is where i'll build the dialogue rewrite it or start deleting shit yeah yeah
1: yeah i i deleting stuff is my favorite part of rewriting it's just figuring out all the stuff you can actually do without but um when we were working on the my play earlier this year um it's basically me and one other guy in, in the majority of the play um and we were going through, like me. And we brought a, a, a Damon Seraphin, who was a fantastic director, came in. Um, I had a, a, my friend Nate uh, came in as a another sort of writer with it. Um, so myself and the other actor were working stuff out. And if somebody had questions about taking a line out or anything, I'm like, I have no ego about this writing. <laughs> like I'm not too precious about my writing. If there's a better way to say any of this or a quicker way to get from point a to point c i am all for it like let's just you know whatever you have to say whatever you're feeling let me know and we'll talk about it and we'll find it like we're saying before it's so collaborative you're everything is improved by it being a collaboration
0: yeah and you know whether the film's an hour and a half or three hours as long as my story's told i'm happy yeah and it also has to be marketable. So maybe two hours, maybe an hour 45, not three. Heat was able, they were able to, Heat was able to pull it off. Mm -hmm. Magnificently. Not a lot of films are able to pull that off. Yeah. Uh, Whether, you know, you got Will Ferrell and John C. Riley just going at it like in Step Brothers and it's just Uh all this improv or they're, and, 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 and it's hilarious. My story is getting, still getting told. Or, Oh, there's a, there was, there was, there was, it was on the tip of my tongue. This film that almost had no dialogue throughout the whole film is very minimal dialogue. Still, the story got, the, the story got told through, through action. Was it,
1: uh, the Ryan got, was it drive?
0: Drive. Thank you. Drive. Yeah. yeah. Um, very, minimal, very minimal dialogue, but through yeah. acting, through action, through acting, through scenes, through, re, uh, facial, you know, facial expressions and reacting to mm-hmm. other actions,
1: yeah, That's and where, it's so cool seeing Albert Brooks as a badass villain, or an intimidating villain. I guess he's not a badass.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Albert Brooks out of nowhere. Yeah. Like I how long? That. How long was that guy just chilling? He's like, "Oh, okay, I'll do this." Him and Ron Perlman, like. Yeah, they pulled <laughs> off some. They pulled off some real scumbags in that movie, man. Yeah. Uh, great, great flick. Great flick.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I I struggled with dialogue for a long time. It's funny, the first thing I ever wrote, that because I I was writing for probably 10 years before I was acting, Um, going back to when I was a kid and loving Rocky as a child, um, my mom told me the story about how Sylvester Stallone wrote the script and had lots of offers to buy it, but nobody wanted him to play it, to play Rocky, and he wouldn't sell it unless he could play Rocky. So from my youngest days, I always kind of had that in my head that yeah I'll, I'll, I'll be a writer first because I'm in Baltimore I'm not in California and I'll figure so I started writing in like '97 or so um, and now I totally forgot why I brought that up uh, what were we talking about
0: just just hold, holding holding out for yourself and, and uh, yeah minimal
1: dialogue yeah oh dialogue yeah the first thing I so I had written a couple of probably three or four full length screenplays. And um, then I just started writing one as a dialogue exercise, just like, uh, I've been watching a lot of noir, um, love Robert Mitchum and uh, like Humphrey Bogart, those guys. So I was just like, I'm just gonna write a scene of two guys like in the 40s in a bar and just work on how I do dialogue. And um, it turned into a short film that I showed to a, friend, a filmmaking friend of mine. And uh, he read it and he's like, I wanna film this and I couldn't believe that. And we pulled it together. And, uh, it was the first acting that I ever did was, was working on that. It's also when I realized I don't ever want to be a producer ever again, (laughs) because that is all the work that I don't love about this business. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have a, I have a, I have a colleague who's an actor, a professional actor and a producer. And, you know, this poor guy is just, you know, he wants to be an actor and, and he's a great actor, but to, Further that, and to compound that, he he delved into um, producing and assistant directing. And mm-hmm. the this the guy we worked on a film a couple of years ago. I was a second AD on it, and he was producer. And I think you know he, he played a very small role um, at some point. I came on late, but um, yeah, he was what little hair he what he shaves his head like you do, uh-huh. and he was still finding. Hairs to pull out. He was just <laughs> this. It's a nightmare. This thing's kicking my ass, man. You know, and y-
1: but it makes you if like if acting is his focus, it makes you kind of like you were saying. Like you're you're more focused towards directing and stuff. But I'm sure that being in front of the camera makes you a better director and writer.
0: Yeah, because so you get
1: that side of it better.
0: Exactly. So I, a lot of directors liked working with me because first off, my acting my acting arena is really just law enforcement, military. So they, Mm -hmm. I'm like a lot of times, and I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm not trying to like, you know, be a braggart or anything, but I always, I always get a call or an email. Hey, I got a, I got a detective role. I'm gonna call you first. You're so good at it. Mm -hmm. I'm happy being typecast at number one, but number two.
1: Typecast is still type or still cast.
0: Yes. (laughs) Typecast is still casted. But I have a degree in production. I've done a lot of production, so I know what a director and 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 a, and a cinematographer and uh, a sound guy wants. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and it makes it, such
1: a huge difference.
0: To to to, but as a performer, I'm I'm not going to rush. I'm not going to half-ass it so we can get through. I'm gonna give a great performance. My my three acting my three acting uh, uh, rules are: know your lines, connect with the character. And be comfortable in front of the camera. Yeah. Because
1: I, I tell, because I've, I've taught acting um, at like community college back in Baltimore and stuff. Um, I tell everybody the, the biggest hurdle, the single biggest hurdle is just getting comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Once you start feeling comfortable with people looking at you perform and being on the camera, it, like, not saying it's easy, because if it's done properly, it's not really easy. But once you get past that point, it, it's a totally different world and then you can really start focusing on, you know, improving everything else, but just, and, and from your experiences. And again, from mine, like when I've talked to people about auditions and stuff like that and how they get nervous, um, through them and like with what you've been through, I'm just like, yeah, I've I've pulled knives and guns off of people that were trying to use them on me. I'm not intimidated by these three guys sitting on the other side of that table right now. What are they going to do to me? Tell me no. Then I don't have a job that I didn't have to begin with. And um, Brian Cranston in his book said uh, the, the moment things started changing for him in his career was when he stopped trying to book roles in auditions and just looked at it. I'm paraphrasing pretty much, but, but just looked at it as an opportunity to perform. And that's what it is. Like if, if you're trying to make a go in this in- industry, you better love it. Like you better love performing. Yeah and i I relish those, even if it's just for like a two or three line thing it's It's fun to go in and and just get it an opportunity to to show some body that you don't know that what you do and what you bring to a role
0: and i think and i and I don't take this for granted. I think I'm luckier that to have skill sets both in front and behind the camera. I love film and t v I love mm-hmm. the new technology. I love the old technology. I love all the new things that are coming out too. And I'm learning new things like live streaming and all that other stuff mm-hmm. uh, and the VR and, and all the new technologies. And I'm dabbling into that so that I can do this podcast and, I'm, and, and, and you know, doing something different, still filming TV, you know, mm-hmm. doing, vir- doing virtual conferences, doing live, producing and directing live DJ sessions with, you know, EDM artists and hip hop DJs and, and EDM DJs. Mm -hmm. And and doing all that remotely, finding a way to work around the quarantine and and work remotely, me and my house, you and your house, but we're still producing something live or live to tape. If I'm in front of the camera, um, I love being a part of the film, whether I'm in front of the camera or behind it. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, also just the satisfaction. I might not be getting paid a million dollars, but just the satisfaction that I'm doing it professionally. I do what I'm doing, what I love, but I'm yeah. doing it professionally. It, it's a it, great, it, great is
1: feeling, it, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, at least it's paying the bills. Is am yeah. I able to take this money and invest it into something further? Maybe yes, maybe no, but I'm, but that's, but also quality of life and satisfaction in life is a payment. And mm-hmm. you know, something to show off to, to family and friends is the payment yeah. getting a, my wife, getting a text, I just saw the commercial again and it's like, you know, it's, it it, 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 I want to, I don't want to call it an ego boost, but it's kind of like, you know, a healthy boost to, to the self-confidence and the it feels luck- really good. Yeah. Yeah, it does.
1: Yeah. I still get, I did, a, um, uh, if you ever go, if you ever take a train anywhere in all the Amtrak stations around the country, they have where all the TVs are, they do like PSAs and I host the section, um, that's about like what to do if a shooter comes into the station. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that probably six years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh god, longer than that. Um it, probably close to ten years ago now that I, I filmed that. And um it was non union, so it was only a couple hundred bucks and now they use it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh Yeah, and then they told me after we filmed it, they were like, yeah, that's going to be in every Amtrak station in the country, and it's still almost 10 years later, it's still running. Still running. Um, But it's great, like I still get messages from a friend that's like in Chicago, that's like, oh, I was just in the train station, look who I saw, and they'll take a picture of me on the, the TV.
0: I just um, I just saw the Toyota thing again, dude. I thought, yeah. it's springtime. Why is there still a winter sale going on in springtime? And I'm like, I yeah. don't think technically it's spring yet. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's always, it, yeah, it's fun little things like that. Exactly. Yeah. That it's, you know, you, you might not see a residual from that. Or, you know, even like you said, there might have been a couple of hundred bucks just for a couple of hours. Yeah. And hey, then on a couple to hundred thing. bucks for two
1: hours worth of work is still great. But that's it.
0: But the beauty of it, and if you ever want to watch one of the best documentaries on filmmaking, Heart of Darkness is a good one about the making of Apocalypse Now, but Full Tilt Boogie, a documentary about the making of From Dusk Till Dawn, George Clooney, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez. Full Tilt Boogie is one of the greatest documentaries on filmmaking I've ever seen in my life. And the first AD of the film was saying, I love this business because everything we do is on film. And and like he smacked, he smacked the hood of his car. And he goes, that is on film forever. You're going to, you're going to see me in this thing. And you're always going to have a copy of it. You can always find me. And, you, and, yeah. and, and the beauty, that's the beauty of filmmaking is I, you know, I hit the hood of my car and that's imprinted on time forever. And yeah. it, it, you can always find it. You can always see this moment. This moment is always there forever. And, and that's,
1: that's a way to to live long after you're gone.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You know? and, 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 you know, people talk about legacies and people talk about, uh, you know, I have a couple colleagues and they have very entrepreneurial mindsets and I love that about them. And I'm, and I'm dabbling in, the, in the into like business ideas and kind of like spanning brands and, and, and things to create not only active income, but passive income, mm-hmm. but you also have to love what you do and anybody can, Anybody can buy real estate and flip it. Anybody can and anybody can you know invest in real estate and have renters and or 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 buy real estate and do Airbnbs and have passive income for years to come and then save that and invest in stocks and then build that. Mm -hmm. But to me personally, I'm looking. I am looking into that, but that shit's boring. Yeah. And and you know, there's this whole like you know employer employer mindset versus entrepreneur mindset and i get that and yes if i go work on a film i'm working for a producer or i'm working for a studio but mm-hmm. i love what i do and even if i'm just a, uh even if i'm just a supporting actor in this film i'm in that forever yeah i might i might get residuals i might not i might get a huge a huge one-time paycheck. i might get a a, an okay one-time paycheck, but I'm in that forever. You can go on, mm-hmm. on demand, you can go online, you can find this thing I did. And even us as professional actors, we are a rarity. You know, like people that oh, actually, yeah. people that actually stick with it, stick with it, hustle, hustle, grind, grind, never gave up. And finally, you know, if it's, if it's not, you know, huge blockbuster, Sony, Marvel movies, fine. But we're still doing all these things that people are seeing left and right all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's, it really is so crazy. I remember um, when I was filming hunters um, just thinking about like my grandfather's uh, Sicilian. So like I grew up watching all the mob movies and all that stuff. And, and uh, um, you know, just feeling very connected to that stuff and like standing there and my, my grandfather died when I was like 14, but um, just standing there with, with Al Pacino and like, literally all I could think about most of the day was what my grandfather would think of this right now. Like when I remember being a little kid, telling him I wanted to be an actor and he was very pragmatic and owned an insurance company and stuff like that. And he's, I remember being like, Oh, you don't want to be an actor. You want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, just the thought of like something that, that, that seed that was planted so long ago, like if I could tell him right now, like, that's worth more than any job I could ever have,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Just and
1: all about just the love for it and the yeah. I just, I love telling stories. And I love, um, so the, the play that I wrote, um, I love having, having a meeting behind or a message behind things. So the play that I wrote was actually about, um, the relationship between police, police, police in general and, uh, black and minority communities. Um, so it gave me an opportunity to not just entertain people, um, but to get out a lot of the, the thoughts that I've had, um, throughout the years of, um, cause I'm pretty much, uh, I, I don't like to assign like political labels and stuff, but I, I was always very much community oriented, um, with my policing and things like that. And I think it's incredibly important, um, as a police officer, as, any, as just a human being, um, to be willing to put yourself in other people's shoes. So w- with that story, it's basically, like I said, it's a short play and it's gonna be a part of the full length. Um, that whole play takes place in the basement of a bodega convenience store um, for people outside of New York, um, where a young black man is holding a police officer at gunpoint Um, in the basement because three years earlier, that cop shot and killed his little brother who just had a toy gun. So it's about, it's almost a half hour, but it was so important to me to show how the other side, like I knew, I know what cops feel about that stuff. I know what it feels like to not be at all racist and have somebody assume and call you a racist because of that. and. To me, the big thing is empathy. Actually, I wrote a, what started that whole play was, I wrote a paper when I was in a conservatory up here. Um, uh, He's a good friend of mine now, his name's Marone uh, Langsner. He's a a fight choreographer and a a dramaturge. So he taught my uh, history of theater class. And our paper was basically, he gave us some prompts or he was like, anything you want to write about that has to do with acting or your life, just, you know. So I wrote a paper about empathy and how I feel like empathy is one of the most important factors in being an actor, but should also be in a police officer. If you're not willing to think about what those people's lives are like, that you're patrolling their neighborhoods, you don't have any right having that job. You're there to serve the community. Um, So it was a really good opportunity for me to not only reach out to the, the citizenry and say, look, this is how a lot of police, obviously not all of them, and there are some horrible evil ones out there on occasion that do stuff that is just unforgivable. But typically cops, like when they're in shootings, they're not happy about it. Everyone I've ever talked to is is messed up by it. Yeah. Um, so it was important to me to, to reach out to um, civilians and say, look, this is what a lot of cops are going through when they've had a shooting, especially if it's a kid, Um, and especially if it's a gun that turned out to be fake that they thought was real at the time, Um, but at the same time show for any police or police-friendly people to see it, to give them the same food for thought of, hey, this is what it's like being on the other side of that as well, Um, especially if you're a white middle-class or upper-class person that's never had to deal with that, listen to this guy and what his life and what he's telling you about his life and how he felt about this stuff, because, you know, we can be entertaining and that's great. But if we can be entertaining and actually accomplish some good things, that's a whole different, a uh, whole different world.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I don't know how I got onto that. Sorry. about that.
0: That's great. No, no, no it's fine. <laughs> Fantastic. that's yeah, good. That's good. Yeah. Well, moving on to <laughs> uh a lighter as I mean that was deep. That was deep. So not, it's
1: not hard to get lighter after that.
0: <laughs> uh what would you say your what, what's your ideas? What is you know, what are some of your ideas of what we could what we consider the new normal? Uh oof.
1: you know, I really man, when this whole thing started there was a really big part of me that was like this is hopefully this like really brings us together and makes us realize that like you know we're all vulnerable to something like the kind of if you ever read Watchmen kind of that that whole like look there's a bigger threat than us and what our borders are and what our our economy or economic policies and all that kind of stuff It's so there's so much more to life than than those things and I, I was very hopeful that this would sort of be a, a leveling experience um, for people all over the world. But uh, I don't know, maybe it is. Judging by social media, it's, it's kind of not going that way. But um, I don't know, mostly I, I, I'm still trying to be optimistic and hoping that when we get through all of this, um, we will have a little bit more just uh, camaraderie or brotherhood as just human beings. Instead of you know where you're from or what you believe in or your politics and and, and things like that,
0: um, yeah.
1: I'm just I'm a big believer in uh, I guess you I've never put a, a word to it before but I guess you'd call it like anti-tribalism. Like I, I feel like anything that that separates us, that whole like you're in this tribe, you're in that tribe, you know, you went to that school, so I don't like you, or you like that football team, so I think you're stupid and and all that kind of stuff is just so, um, aside from being short sighted and and immature in a lot of ways, it's not what the world is anymore. There, There was a time, like, I get it. Like I get why we're wired that way. And I think that's where a lot of the ugliest things of our world come from. The, the, the violence from religions, the racism and all that stuff comes from those days when, you know, we were all, whatever stage of evolution we were in, but like anybody that was outside of your tribe could be a threat because they're going to kill your livestock or your crops and things like that. And it's not the world anymore. The, we, this is truly a global society now where with travel and economy and everything else, we're everything one country does or the people of one country affects so many more. Yeah. So hopefully I, I hope part of the new normal is more of a, world, global view of our problems and our issues than just these sort of, I think, short-sighted um, isolationist kind of things.
0: Absolutely. Okay, great. But
1: I think we're all going to be a lot more used to seeing people wearing masks from now.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's probably going to stick around for a while. I, I'm yeah, sure, I'd, you know, there's just, that's just, that's going to be like a semi-norm is that someone wearing a mask I mean they were doing that for years in China yeah and I think and I think it had to do with uh, maybe smog or air quality they did it I I mean I
1: know a lot of it was the because a lot of like Japan and and a lot of areas of China are so dense so densely populated um, that remember because that that seems to be where a lot of like the bird flu was was worse Mm -hmm. out there and things like that so my understanding was always like that's how that trend started and, you know, over here, people can tend to have sort of an, an arrogant view on the rest of the world for being an American by like, oh, that's not going to happen to us. Yeah. We're never going to have to wear that. We're never going to look ridiculous wearing those masks. But, and it did. Yeah. And we did. And we're all wearing them now. And, and you know, Asia was a decade or more ahead of us.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, like to prepare you know- for that. And and during our flu season, you know, we we for a for a month, you know, during the winter, we might not shake hands, we might do pounds, or we might be yeah, you know, like oh, you know, germs right now, I don't want to shake, you know, you know, there's some people that don't shake, ah, I just don't shake, you know, I'm I'm nervous about yeah. germs or whatever, and now it's those people are gonna be wearing masks or you know masks uh, out in public, but you know if you have you know if you have family and friends over for a party, maybe no masks, but yeah, maybe going masks might be the norm at like concerts and movie theaters, but not at home and not at at social, maybe maybe not at social gatherings in a year or two, but masks in a year or two masks will be the norm for more, uh, more densely populated, you know. Yeah.
1: And that could last for a while until, until there is some sort of, you know, vaccine or or something Mm -hmm. else that we can just say, okay, we're safe from this particular thing now, but now that we've all been through this, the next time something's coming up, well, we're going to get two things. We're going to get people that the next time a potential pandemic is, is arising, we're going to get the people that are like, yeah, well that didn't kill anybody I know last time. So I'm not going to worry about it. Right. And we're going to get the people that are like, okay, we know what to do now. We know we'll get through this. We just have to, it's going to suck for a little while, but most of us will get through it.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, you kind of you kind of touched upon it, but uh, what would be one last point of advice? One one last point, one last bit of advice you'd want to give.
1: Um, you mean acting wise, or just, oh, it, or, or or how
0: about how about one of each?
1: Okay. Um, whew. Acting wise, um, train, get classes. I, I resisted classes for the longest time, and I'll be honest with you. I think the reason I did, well, there, it was twofold. One, I think there is a, a weird arrogance um, when a lot of people get into acting where it's just like, I can act. I, everybody thinks they can act. It, it's like one of the only jobs, if somebody tells you they're a plumber, you don't go, oh, yeah, I, could, I wanted to be a plumber. I could do that. But everybody thinks they can act when they watch people on TV. Um, so I, there, there is a, a degree of that when you get into it. So I was honestly... I was very intimidated about taking a class. Um, I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't know, because I hadn't done theater, um, I just, I got right into TV and film and commercials and stuff. So I didn't know a lot of the terminology. I didn't know a lot of the authors and things like that. Um, If somebody's looking to get into acting, I would just say, take as many classes as you can, read as many plays as you can, really immerse yourself in uh, in the art, of it and if you're doing it because you want to be famous find some find it another hobby because doing it to be famous is going to make you miserable and you're not going to love it and if you don't love this it's such a hard way to go about trying to have a living if you don't love it if you and i mean like not love being on set but if you don't love the audition process if you don't love you know getting uh screen or a script sides for an audition and, and breaking it down getting a full project and, and just breaking it down and rehearsing it and working it out and really analyzing it. Find something else to do or just accept that it's going to be a hobby because it really is a lot of work. Um, but it's work that I love. I love every aspect of it. Um, so definitely get out, get out and, and just do it. Just do it as many times as you can. Work with as many people as you can. Do every free project that comes your way, every student film that you can for a while. Meet as many people as you can and make those networking connections because those are the people that if you don't if you're not a problem and you don't embarrass yourself on the set, those are the people that are going to be calling you for future projects. Um, and I wanted to, to mention uh, to you earlier, and I can't remember what you said that made me think of this, um, but because of where you are, I think they're still doing it in Columbia. Have you heard of, do you know Ken Arnold by any chance? Or yeah. Dan Franco, those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken run they, well, they run a. Um, uh, it's called Actors Club, and I think they still run out of Columbia. Okay. Um, but uh, it's uh, on. If you search for Actors Club on Facebook, it's like the Fight Club bar of soap. Okay. Um, the logo. That's how you'll find it. Um, I highly recommend those guys to anyone in the the DMV area. Um, after I'd taken some classes, and I finally went in and started doing Actors Club. It is super affordable. They're doing Zoom classes right now. Um, and they have people, I mean, Ken's a long-time professional actor. People that don't know him, you've seen him in stuff probably. Um, but uh, it, like I said, it's super affordable. There's no commitment. And they have people from every, from people that have never said a line in front of another person before in their lives all the way up to, you know, people with decades and decades of experience. So Anybody that's looking to, to do some acting classes in that area, check those guys out. Um, as far as just like general personal stuff, just don't be a dick to people. Life is so much better that way. Yeah, <laughs> You feel better. Other people feel better. Things work out for you better. Just be empathetic and try to understand what people are going through. And if you can't, just be nice to them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Great advice. Don't be a dick. <laughs> I, like I like it man i like it well uh ryan thomas anything you want to plug any any links socials sites
1: um you can check out my website my website is ryan scott um and then if you're interested on there you can find the links to all my social uh, facebook instagram uh, my twitter is pretty much empty because i just can't stand twitter so uh, but i do i'm pretty active on the other two so
0: Ryan Scott Thomas. Well, Hey man, thanks so much for joining me. This was, uh, this was awesome. We almost hit the two hour mark. My wife's going to kill. Oh, me. Oh wow. I didn't even <laughs> notice. That's great.
1: Thank you so much, Glenn. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having, uh, thanks. Thanks for being on and, and uh, sharing, sharing everything and uh, you know, learned a lot and uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we, we put a lot of stuff out there for people to enjoy. So uh, to my viewers like subscribe, share, comment, Uh, thumbs up if you liked it, thumbs down if you didn't. Either way, uh, ring the bell for notifications and check us out next time.